The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Miracle of Healing, where we come together every week to discuss and discover a roadmap to healing. I'm your host, Lisa Campion, and I hope you can join us since the world needs all the healing it can get. And we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. Hi, everybody. I'm Lisa Campion, and this is the Miracle of Healing. Today, we are going to talk with Eli Coberly. He's a world traveler, a seeker of truth, and truth through adventure, such a fun concept. But at 17, he left his small Pacific Northwest town to fulfill his dream of becoming an army paratrooper. And at 20, he was honorably discharged and began to search for a new dream, a really interesting one too. And today, he's weaving together ancient history and how it relates to what we're going through in our present day moment. He's really um, revealing the meaning of this early symbols as he's explored Central America. And he makes a strong case for balancing all this centuries of war and toxic masculinity with a return to the divine feminine in his amazing book, War in the Hearts of Men. So thanks for being with us today, Eli. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Such an interesting book that you wrote. You're kind of going through these polarities, like you said, of the toxic masculinity and and the divine feminine. And I had a strong, as we were talking about before the show started, relating point with you on on your book, because I'm the mother of a veteran. My son was in the Marine Corps for, for four years, and I saw, you know, what the military does. And you talk a little bit about the um, expendable teenage men and that that brought me a little a little tear to I was like, <laughs> you know, to my eyes, I read that and to experience, you know, to see through your eyes what you went through um, and how, wow, challenging it, it was. And I'm just wondering if you want to start sharing a little bit about, you know, what that was like. You were kind of a badass in the army there. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, small towns, ghettos in the city and, and you know, in the south and in Louisiana, all these different small little towns or places where people are marginalized, young men from not very good standings enlist instead of becoming an officer. So they, uh, a lot of us who did that, we kind of had no other option or, or perceived there was no other option. And so for me, I just left a small little town. You could be a logger or a farmer and, and I wanted something bigger out of my life and I wanted adventure. So I, I became a paratrooper and infantry paratrooper in the 82nd airborne. And that was, uh, opening. I mean, I never left my town and, um, I went to the South and, 
I got exposure to different cultures of people from the city and African-American men who I'd never really, I, there was one kid in my high school who was, who was African-American. So it was, it was totally a different thing and it was great. I loved it, but um, it was definitely challenging because like one of the things I say is like the cadences, you know, they're like singing while you're marching. And one of the things I remember sinking in was trained to kill and kill. We will. And I, so that was pretty tough for me to digest. Like, oh, I might have to kill someone. <laughs> right. I know. Trained as a weapon, trained to be a weapon and sort of a disposable one too. And I think that it's really hard to untrain that out of you. You know what I mean? Like to to undo what they did. You know, at least I noticed that with my son. Yeah. And the the thing is, is, is you know, I learned after, you know, military service that just what is it, what is a man what does a man do what like what makes a man and how and i and i realized that a man is not what i thought it was <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. and you know my like my book's called war in the hearts of men so it's kind of a metaphor for what goes on inside of a man when he's when he's coming of age and 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 then when he has to do what's right and uh, when he kind of follows the mistakes of his father or his ancestors in order to follow the same footsteps and realizing your own path um, of righteousness for kind of what's best for the heart and what's best for the, the soul of the group. I wonder, you know, if they sort of have to take you out of your heart, you know, take you out of empathy, compassion um, to turn you into a weapon. And then it seems like the rest of your journey was bringing that back, you know, putting, putting that back if it ever left, if it ever left you, which probably it didn't, but it, it has to be submerged, right? Or you can't be a weapon. And then the rest of your life was has really been about sort of reclaim finding your heart again and through these adventures that you've had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people just read some self-help books or some people go and join a, a group um, and talk to people. And for me, I had to study a culture and become uh, immersed in, in different healing modalities and become a teacher of them and understand the philosophy behind the culture and why we did what we did and why I did what I did and why I am what I am. <laughs> I like anthropology. Right. I studied that. Yeah, you were very drawn to working in, you know, in, in Mexico and Central America, Guatemala, Belize. What brought you to be interested in the the Mayan and Incan cultures? Well, my my grandfather was into into indigenous culture and that was always fascinating what I learned through him. Um he was a recluse in the middle of nowhere, northwest Washington. He went to all these arrowhead digs and all this stuff. And so he knew a lot and that was an inspiration. But really when he told me, he said, Oh, this is the, um, they say it's the, the Maya people believe it's the end of time. And it was, I think it was right around before he passed or something like that. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. I'd been to a Maya pyramid many years before. And I thought, I want to know about that. And so I just learned about, you know, what time was to them and what, what they observe um, in the cosmos. And, and that was, that was fascinating to me. And you found like a lot of deep sort of cosmological meaning in what you found there in, in terms of the Mayan cosmology. Tell us a little bit about where that took you. Yeah. I mean, I just, I ended up in, in a, a little shop, one of those psychic shops. And this woman gave me a tarot reading and she said, Oh, you're going to become a person who's on videos and do this thing. And I was like, whatever, like neat, like, 
and she told me go to these pyramids and so you know i went to these pyramids and i checked them all out but what i found my favorite thing was palenque in chiapas mexico and that's a culture that they talk about on like ancient aliens and saying oh the guy was a time traveler or a, a, some sort of alien thing right. but what i learned is it was more about the third eye as as far as you know like with the hindu culture you're you're getting into these states, altered states of consciousness and connecting with time in a different fashion. Instead of linear, it's cyclical. And I learned about sacred geometry and I realized a lot of their art had that geometry and a lot of their art alluded to through the glyphs alluded to time periods in the past um, and, and places in the past. And a lot of their masks and their uh, depictions of faces were of people from other cultures and like the other day, this guy uh, who's or person, I don't know who they are, but they're on Instagram. They're sort of labeling me as a pseudoscientist. And I said, well, I'm not a pseudoscientist. I don't b- believe in science the same way. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I mean, I learned a lot about because cosmology is not science necessarily, especially when it comes from people who don't believe in the scientific method. They're observing the stars and they're observing the planets and how they continually have these cycles and that's how they measure time. I think sometimes it takes somebody who's not been like fully indoctrinated into the, the site, the science, the scientific model and all of the limitations that come with that to see, to sort of make these like leaps of, um, you know, discovery and kind of put things together. So you've really um, found a lot of connecting points with, different cultures, sort of the migration, the idea of migration or people moving around and sharing this wisdom knowledge from all over the similarities of the wisdom knowledge from many different cultures show up all over the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone starts from one given point. I mean, if you take a satellite and you zoom out, there's a person and there's them observing directions and that's the four directions. And that's how we measure how we navigate is, north, south, east, and west. And it's also related to the sun's trajectory and the moon's trajectory. And imagine being a sailor and just like imagine being someone walking the plains in the desert or, or the tundra or wherever. is like you have a spot in the known universe and you relate to these elements. And from those elements, you need food and water and you need to build a shelter and you need to observe um the planets and stars so you can actually figure out how to grow crops or what herds to follow or how to migrate so you don't get cold in the winter. <laughs> so it's just, there's a lot to it. And from there, it spans out into large cycles of time and large uh, geometrical patterns that are encoded in our DNA and encoded in the structures that the ancients built. Hmm. So interesting, you know, and it feels like to me like this following along the, this um, trail of breadcrumbs, if you will, like led you on a lot of these amazing adventures. You you, you had some really crazy adventures, some beautiful adventures. What What's some that stand out in your mind that you can share with us? Um, I go back to El Mirador a lot in uh, in the Paten region in Guatemala. It's a jungle that, that's the size of like uh, the Midwest or something. And it's really the lungs of the wow. Midwest as far as the trees. And um, it's the trip to El Mirador, people take on mules. And I decided to do it um, by foot with a with a large backpack. And my partner at the time, a big mistake. 
but ultimately uh, near-death experience. And I wrote about it in my first little book. But I mean, I have to say being way out there and going to a pyramid in the middle of nowhere and looking around and all you see is jungle canopy and realizing that you just went 40 kilometers in one day and you have to turn around and go back. Wow. Um, That was, yeah, so that was a, me by myself would have been much easier, but having someone inexperienced made it even more difficult. And so it was an amazing experience, but on the same hand, it was, it was blood curdling. Cause I knew that, you know, uh, the woman I was dating at the time, her, her stepdad was a judge in LA <laughs> and I thought, Oh my God, if I don't, if I don't get her out of here, I'm in if trouble. If you don't bring her back, there's going to be repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So that wow. was pretty, that was the adventure. And I, I'd never take anyone on an adventure like that again, because I, I learned my lesson. So Eli, I was wondering, like, if, you know, some of these like near death experiences, you had quite a few, um, was part of the process for you, you know, like that somehow leaving the, the structure and the, the thought form of society and coming, coming close to death. Like that's, those are like pretty classic spiritual initiations too, right? Yeah. I mean, if at the very least, a, a addiction, I would say, as far as, you know, if you're adrenaline junkie, you do things like jump out of planes or come close to death, it gets your heart beating fast and you're like, oh, this feels great. Like I feel alive now. And, but that also, that piece of being close to death, like the initiation of the shaman, sort of like every shaman in the group, was someone who was near death or had a harrowing experience and realized well, I have to be an example or I have to change. So yeah, the death, the death process, not only metaphorically, but literally is, or close to literally is something that creates transformation uh, quicker than anything else. That's so cool. I want to talk a little bit about your, some of your psychedelic experiences and, and what role you think that plays in this process, but let's take a real quick break. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
We are here with Eli Coberly talking about his book, The War in the Hearts of Men, and his amazing journey through through time, through space, and all the things that he's done to really open his mind to a new way of looking at the world. So Eli, let's talk a little bit about psychedelics. It's kind of a theme that comes up through your book quite a lot, and how psychedelics can be such an important part of our of our waking up and another besides death psychedelics or near death psychedelics are another way to kind of open that door to the greater mysteries what was that like for you i know you've done i know you've had some experiences there it's too. it's essentially the human experience that we've forgotten um was part of our culture for much longer than the christianity you know you go back three thousand years recently in spain they found this uh these skeletons of people who were administering psychedelics and they had little spirals on all their stuff, um, all their pouches with the the psychedelics and stuff. So it's about time and it's about death and it's about letting go. And for me, um, most of the time when I was doing a psychedelic or I was part of a ritual, I, I consciously realized that it was, it was for a purpose. It's, although much of the time it was recreationally um, ingested and there was a, Many other times where it was in ceremony, that didn't come till much later in life um, when I realized that people were doing it like that. It, like mm-hmm. with ayahuasca, I found a group that were, they had a church and it was like their thing, you know, you know, ayahuasca for a headache, ayahuasca for this. <laughs> I thought, well, that's excessive. And so I became a skeptic after the experience, but I, it changed my life forever. And, and honestly, it was eight years ago, but it feels like uh, a year or two ago. Do you feel like that um, psychedelic work uh, work is something that might really help people, other people that are um, suffering with PTSD? Yeah, um, I didn't. Honestly, it uncovered me having PTSD, but it took, you know, seven and a half years to realize after I did, had the experience with ayahuasca that I actually even had it or that I would even think about that I had it. I mean, there's great value in it. And there's groups working with veterans right now. Um, I, I think that it's important to understand the dose and the set and setting like Ram Dass and Timothy Leary talked about, like you don't just dose someone who's had, you know, massive experience of seeing dead bodies in Afghanistan and, and, Oh, it's good for PTSD. And, you know, I think that that causes more harm than good. You don't want to have, you want to, you want to have, how do I put it? Like people who are qualified. In other words, like I, this group, No Fallen Heroes, you could follow them on Instagram. It's this fighter pilot guy, but he has a whole contingency or cadre of people. Like one's a psychologist, one's a medical doctor, and one's just like the shaman person or whatever. But there's people who are on the Western philosophy side of things that are helping as opposed to just a shaman who which is nice and good, but it doesn't necessarily help people who have that sort of stress that's coming in from PTSD or like someone who's, who's had a lot of sexual trauma, I don't think needs to dose a bunch of, a bunch of uh, psychedelics and hope for the best. I think it's good. I think it's good to have allies with the experience is what I'm saying. And I never felt like I did when I had ayahuasca. Right. That's so interesting. And I noticed the same thing. And I've done a lot of, in my work as a healer, kind of cleanup sessions for people that got really even more jacked up, more thrown into their trauma, more, you know, got thrown into it without, uh, and relived it without really having the 
the proper container you talk about it in the book or the guidance to really help them process it. So I think you're right. What our intention is and how skillful the people are that are that are assisting us seems to make make all the difference. I'm so curious about these um, these elongated skull people. Tell me more about that. Like, what's that all about? I think it's to me the myth is fascinating, or the mythology behind it, or the anything that where there's a mystery, I'm drawn to. So for me, it's not like oh my god, there's a, we're we're aliens or something like that, but it's potentially that there's something different, a different narrative than what we've been told, because there's a lot of people who like to lie in effort to get their agenda across. But uh, the elongated skulls are just um, these skulls that they found all around the world that are not. Well, some people do cradle boarding, you know, you'll see like the kids when they're born and they smash their head with two Mm -hmm. boards so they can elongate it. And they're practicing that. But there's actually genetic elongated skulls, um, people who are born that way. But modern science, archaeology, anthropology doesn't accept it because it would mean another species and something more to uncover about our ancient past. But it has been documented um the dna test showing that these were um this dna was definitely something unique from the uh homo sapien so it's they call it like in in peru where there's many of them which which ultimately their dna gets traced back to the black sea area in europe is um these skulls are um they're, they're something different. They're Homo sapien Paracas because that's where they were found in Paracas, Peru. So they named that, them that, these uh, Nassim Harriman, an astrophysicist, but yet since they were kind of stolen from the graves and they don't know exactly, they weren't done in like a, like by the Smithsonian, it's, it's kind of thrown out the window as any kind of science. Right. It seems to me like there may have been a, like a conspiracy to destroy that information that knowledge that information because it didn't fit with really upset the apple cart to think there was another species of human on the planet right that's pretty radical yeah so you you make this sort of the assumption in in or the theory that maybe that was destroyed because it was too upsetting yeah i mean in england um there's there's barrows which are long graves and there's many elongated skull people tossed in these in these long graves, these pits, you know, and in all war, what do, what do we do to get rid of the bodies? We yeah. dig a big trench and toss them in there. And so it covers up the history and discover and destroys any memory because the people don't want to talk about it. Sweep it under the rug or into the barrow. Do you mean <laughs> that's good under the rug and into the barrel? Yeah. I love that. What did you make of it? Just your personal belief. Do you feel like those are people, are they aliens? Are they just another um, part of humanity? What, what, what do you think the story well, is? Well, there's there? a UFO convention that I went to where I saw them sort of release this information and I was documenting it, writing it down and recorded it. But the, the physicist says, oh, it's a different, different uh, group of Homo sapien, Homo sapien paracus, and there's different DNA, not of this world. Well, they say that, and that's good. But also, what he said as a as a physicist, I I believe that it, these skulls were meant to grow because of the extreme energy that was being used. And to me, that meant what I know about how the ancients used to tap into the center of the earth, and they talk about 
even the Maya people, they say heart of the earth, heart of the sky. And even like in all the geometric patterns that they would write on the, in the limestone and all this, it's talking about two central cores of energy and in Kundalini and, and yoga, you have the upward force of gravity and the downward force of gravity. And so I think that these ancient people were messing with energy I mean, not messing, but utilizing energy that that allowed them um, to sort of experience time and gravity and space in a different way. Right. Like a real spiritual advancement. Like they were, it's a byproduct of their spiritual pursuits, perhaps. Yeah. It's a connection with with, uh, a greater energy that's in the heavens um, or maybe, you know, the ether or something like that. How do you have all of the things that you, um, that you, present here in the book how do you think that relates to where we are in our current life as humans and current the current events um well for the skulls is like they suppressed this um or they they wanted it to a secret to be swept under the rug and if you read you know like the popular guy david dida he's got a book about masculine and feminine stuff i've never read it but i've heard about it so he talks Mm, it's great yeah and a lot of it's good. You yeah. Check it out. So, but he's got this thing sweeping things under the rug, right? This dark masculinity, and like I was saying, sweeping into the barrow. Like you're not, you cover things up, and it's bound to come back. The history is bound to repeat itself. But if we recognize the mistakes that we did in the past, like i.e., suppressing the feminine or anything magical or mystical or different from our war agenda, then then humanity is going to thrive. And so I think we're sort of if we learn from history and we don't sweep it under the rug, then then our qualities within ourselves can be more open to growth collectively and, and you know, individually. Such great stuff, Eli. So how can people find you, um, find you and how can they find your yeah, book? Yeah, so my website's elicoberly.com and I'm on Instagram as Eli Coberly and it's on Amazon, War in the Hearts of Men. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing this this information, I really recommend that um, y'all run right out and get his book. I really couldn't put it down. I started reading it kind of late last night and I stayed up way too late <laughs> finishing it in this morning too. So I, it was such an interesting book. Thanks for having me, Lisa. And thanks all of you guys for tuning in. So glad that you're here. I know you just want to reach right on down and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a word of all of the amazing things that we have here um, on the podcast. And if you want to find me, you can find me at lisacampion.com. I hope you stop by. I have a lot of free gifts and resources for psychics, healers, and empaths. I really feel like my mission in life is to to train up uh, psychics, healers, and empaths to fully step into their gifts because the world needs all the healers it can get now more than ever. And that is what we are are doing here on this podcast. So thanks for being here on The Miracle of Healing, where we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, 
hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.